Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Anyway, today we, we've talked to Wayne. This is Wayne Incott. If you don't know Wayne, um, huge advocate of bow hunting, huge advocate of anything hunting related, actually. And um, anyway, he owns the bow rack here in Springfield. And we just thought we'd sit down. We've been talking for a while. We thought we'd just sit down and talk. Wayne is um, probably more educated, probably than 90% of. Yeah, I mean, give a little accolade yeah. just on what your involvement in the. So. Yeah, I'm, I've been vice president of Oregon Bow Hunters, and I've probably been up in Salem, you know, kind of at a lobbying level, you know, involved with their meetings and everything for probably 25 years, you know, and uh, a, a lot of the things that, you know, we've accomplished over the years, just a few, you know, your love it or hate it, your mandatory harvest reporting, that was an Oregon Bow Hunters, you know, proposal. You know, of course, late season, you know, blacktail hunting is an Oregon Bow Hunters proposal. We're the oldest stakeholder group in Oregon. I think it was 1948, I think it was, wow. we, we formed. And it went under a few different names, but you know, we've been around for eternity. So we're the oldest stakeholder group in Oregon. So a lot of accomplishments. We're always, you know, we're always there, you know, um, you know at, at the commission meetings. And we always had a good presence. And, and you know, we're, we're a little bit proactive. You know, we've had, you know, the late season Beulah, um, you know, deer hunt, Heart Mountain, you know, those were Oregon bow hunter proposals, you know, back when we were pushing for, you know, late season stuff. So just, you know, always, you know, interested in preserving and promoting archery. I mean, that's, that's our mission statement as Oregon bow hunters as we, you know, promote archery and bow hunting, you know, so, you know, we're always in a promotion mode, you know, and, uh, you know, we're always there. So it's been a good time up there being involved with Oregon Fish and Wildlife. Yeah. And then do you do you sit with anything in the ODF and W at all in the panel? So I, I've been on yeah. I'm in there on leadership. We just yep. had a leadership meeting yep. okay. in the Dalles, you know. So I'm in, for Oregon Bow Hunters. I represent leadership along with, you know, OHA. You know, was there at that same meeting. You know, Jim Atkinson and and uh, Fred Wall Savage, good good men. Uh, you know, they represent uh, OHA. Oregon Hunters Association, and then Stan Steele was there, stands with Oregon Outdoor Council. And Stan's a good man. Stan's been heavy into lobbying. He's, he's a retired OSP game officer, oh. career guy, and, you know, very knowledgeable, you know, on all issues, you know, both in the state of Oregon and, and other states. You know, Stan's just been a great advocate for hunters. And, um, and, and then uh, uh, Robert Moreland. Um, he's with Traditional Archers of Oregon. He was there, and then Dave Wiley was with uh, Rocky Mountain Elk. That's who attended this last leadership wow. meeting. Okay. So, yeah, so I, really and, and I've sat, I've sat on quite a few working groups yeah. over the years. You know, um, or, you know the review groups that we've had in archery in the past. You know, and and um, LOP tags and stuff like that. You know, I've been on a few working groups with them. Yeah. So just one thing is just kind of Wayne's very well versed in this, and like Trent and I said, we really wanted to get someone on here that really kind of knew what was going on, kind of get the full story and, uh, you know. There's been a lot of new things happening just within the last year. 
in ODFNW and our Oregon laws and rules and, and some proposals that have come up and stuff like that. And we just kind of wanted to weigh in and a lot of them, you know, get, get different opinions, you know. Right. Well, we we're several years waited into this. So the way this started and anybody that's, you know, had their ear to the ground on it, it started with a recruitment and enhance, enhancement program. The three R's, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, I couldn't, as far as being excited, I couldn't have been any more excited about, you know, this program. I mean, recruitment and enhancement, you know, I'm like, and, you know, this is, this is great. I mean, you know, we got an opportunity to make, you know, some real changes, some things that hunters are going to like, you know, and, and Nick Myatt's headed this process up for Oregon Fish and Wildlife, and I think he's been a good man at it. You know, and, and, and especially in the beginning, he came in and, you know, we're going to add opportunity where we can, and we're going to simplify the process where we can, and it's going to be a long process. This is going to take years. So this started three years ago, and so that, that first year there, you know, there was, there was a lot of emphasis on that. There was a lot of, you know, ground, you know, foundational stuff laid. And then last year we went to a simplification process and you see that in our synopsis yep, this year and there right. was some changes there was some deleted hunts you know they they i think they eliminated you know quite a few hunts um and and just consolidated things quite a bit you know so that was a simplification process and then you know rolling into this year it, you know all of a sudden we're into social media they bring social media into it and anybody that's kind of been on social media has seen that i've, I've done a lot of proposals you know, I'm the proposal guy. I've got a, I've got a mule deer plan. I've got, I've got every, I, I, I waded into every single species, whether it was Rocky Mountain goat or bighorn sheep or, you know, spring bear, you know, no matter what it was, mule deer, elk, it didn't matter what species it was, I waded into it with proposals. And, you know, I stand at a counter up here, you know, pretty much a lot. <laughs> and, you know, the best, the most passionate and the best ideas come right in that front door. Yeah. And they walk in, they sit down, and they go, why don't we do this? And why don't we do this? And why don't we do this? And this makes total sense and everything. And so for over the years, you know, I, I've been here, this makes 32 years of owning an archery shop. I've heard every concept, every conservation concept for big game that you could ever hear, I right? Bet, because th your guys are passionate about it. I mean, there, there is nobody more passionate about hunting than hunters. I mean, Absolutely. we are the conservationists. Yeah. We love the game. I mean, a cattle rancher, I stopped in Plush years ago. We'd, we'd draw Heart Mountain tags, right? And we'd been in there forever. And of course, you got to have a greasy burger. First thing you get out of the woods, seven days in the woods. It's the you best gotta, burger of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we stop in Plush. And if you've ever been in Plush, Oregon, you, you've missed it if you haven't been there. It's a post office. It's a cafe. It's a bar. All of the above, Everything. you know. Everything. And, and, and the, there's real people there that live there that run it and so we pull in and there's four trailers there gooseneck trailers with horses still saddled up all lathered up those horses aren't even moving a muscle they're they're just dead and there's cow dogs laying all over the flatbeds you know right, right. and they're dead as well and this is in the evening of course so we walk in and here's like six real cowboys and they are as dirty as everything outside <laughs> because they've been pushing cows forever and I sat there and we ate our burgers and we listened to those guys. And you know, I, I came from an agriculture background, so I understand farmers and everything, but you know, sure. cattle, right? Yeah. Cows, can you talk about them for very long? <laughs> so we were there for probably 45 minutes and I heard more about cat. Those guys were talking cows. Oh really? And I understood none of it. And they were passionate about what they were talking about. And, and I, it was like a totally different language. 
Why? They're cattle ranchers. It's what they do. Nobody loves cattle more than cattle rancher, right? There's nobody knows more about cattle than a cattle rancher, right? They make a living off it. They're passionate about it. I mean, they live it every day. That's what we do. We live the dream here. We're archery hunters. We're bow hunters. We're, we're hunters, you know, in general. And nobody cares more about game. Nobody knows more about game than everybody that walks through those doors. Yeah. So your best, you know, basic yeah. foundational conservation ideas come right through that front door. Yeah. Because those guys are like, they're out there every day. I talk to guys that spend way more time than I've ever spent in the woods. I mean, and they share it with you now. I mean, they come in and they got it on a phone and they go, look at this and look at this. And I mean, you can't believe what I got on video. And you know, here's a coyote taking down a fawn or you know, here's, here's, here's a cougar I ran into. You know, it's just crazy. And they're out there all the time and they're picking up you know, car trailers full of shed antlers. You know, they're spending a lot of time out there. They know what's going on in the woods. They know what's going on conservation-wise, and they get the best ideas. So, you know, all that to say, you know, I've kind of formulated those, kind of come up with some great ideas, and I threw those all out on social media. Yeah. You know, and I've so, seen, I've yeah, seen yeah, yeah. This and so, so this shifted this year with Oregon Fish and Wildlife's proposal to show social media. You saw, you know, Nick Myatt had his, had his social media going, you know, so, you know, we're being sold, you know, this new idea, you know, from Oregon Fish and Wildlife. And, you know, of course, all the groups came to this meeting that we just had in the Dalles, you know, on the 21st, and, and you know, they all opposed, you know, these new, the proposals, new proposals, you know, so, and we probably need to dig in. Yeah, that. yeah, let's kind of just dive in kind of on the, on the top level, you know, like, it looks like, so their biggest thing, that recruitment, retention, reactivation, and then in the proposals, their whole trying to hit management objectives, simpler seasons and regulations, mm -hmm. allocate hunting opportunity fairly and consistently to, yeah. to people. And that was the second year. And then we're into this, which, you know, um, you know the, and, 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 and Nick's basis for, you know, for what, you know, the staff is proposing, you know, one part of it, is, you know, what he outlined was, was portability of tags. You know, so somebody will draw a cow tag for Alsi, for example, for a late season cow tag. And, you know, because of harvest reporting, which by the way, harvest reporting was Oregon, or was Oregon Bow Hunters proposal. Idea. Yeah, it was our idea. We pushed it, we got it through. And, and it took years to get teeth in. It had to go to legislature to get a penalty and everything. But now we've got it and it's there and it's a good tool. We need it. We're, as, as, as hunters, we all felt like it was time we're responsible for that. But there again, that comes and that's kind of the loaded gun we shoot ourselves in the foot with because now everybody reports what they're doing, right? So Oregon Fish and Wildlife has a good grip on what you're doing. So you draw an LC cow tag, never hunt LC cows. But you're hunting, you it's know, good for the general archery. Yeah, yeah. It's good for the general archery. Or Nick gave us an example in this meeting of a guy that drew a sled springs tag. Never hunted sled springs. Spent his time either in Starkey or Ukiah. Never ever went to sled springs. And so, you know, that's what harvest reporting does right. for us. It shows you where you're spending your time, the amount of time you're spending there. And and they so their their concern is that you know, that's where overcrowding came in. There's another, you know, concern is overcrowding. And, you know, you, you can, there's all kinds of guys on all sides of the fence with that. But with their survey, you know, and, and of course, you know, we felt as an organization going in and all the organizations going in, we felt like the data was skewed because we're the user group, you know, and we should be surveyed on that solely. But, you know, staff's argument was that this is a hunting community 
and they're going to be surveyed as a whole. Oh, the whole thing. They grouped yeah. everybody together. Grouped everybody together. Gotcha. So everybody's surveyed as a whole. I got gotcha. you. And so, you know, my argument with that is, you know, you don't have the Audubon Society weighing in on what falconers should do, right? They don't even want falconers to have a falcon. They definitely don't want falconers to go out and kill ducks with the falcons. Right. You know, so, you know, and then it divides the community. Yeah. You know, which we, is, we which that's is the huge. Worst thing that can that's the worst thing that can happen. You know, we don't want to drive a wedge, you know. And, and then this is the other part of it that's giant is, so archery's growing. You know, and, and we're more and more popular all the time. But we're the only segment of hunting that's growing. that's growing. And my argument always is, is we need to figure out how to offer, offer more opportunity for hunters. And my number one, we, we all had our opening, you know, speeches in there. My number one speech is like, we can do administrative removal on cats. We can do administrative removal on, on coyotes. Right. You know, we, we can do habitat programs. So we know for a fact that predatorization is our biggest problem. And I mean, you know, I saw an argument, you know, and I think it came from Nick that, that one of our number one problems with mule deer was nutrition. I, I really take hmm. case with that, you know, because let's, let's take the Steens for example. We're losing mule deer in the Steens. We have for years, 25, 30 years, we've been just steadily losing, yes. you know, deer numbers in the Steens. And we're in trouble with deer numbers in the Steens. So it's an island. It has tremendous habitat. It has tremendous nutrition. It, it is an island in the middle of a desert that goes up to 9,000 feet, 9,500, 9,600. It's crazy. It's just a, it has crazy soil types. You know, so you've got, you got the habitat. And, and then not only that, it doesn't have a winter range problem. It has tremendous winter range habitat. Then it doesn't have highway deprivation, which is giant. I mean, you can look at Central Oregon, you got 97, boom, you've got highway deprivation. You've got more deer getting killed on that highway and Highway 20, 126 and it's probably killed by hunters in all of east side of the Cascades by all hunters, right? So you don't have that in the Steens. So you got none of that. So you, and then you got one road, basically two roads. You got one that goes from Fish Lake down to Diamond and you got the loop road. And the rest of it is just there yeah. for your for yeah. your enjoyment sure. if you're tough enough to enjoy it. And it's not a pretty mountain to hunt. I mean, it's it's marbles. It's it's volcanic. It's the slickest hillside you'll ever be on in all of Oregon because cool everything place. rolls with you. And I grew up hunting it. I was there when I was 12 years old and started my whole hunting career there. So you and saw it at its at its peak. peak. I mean, as a 12-year-old kid sitting in the sagebrush underneath the gun notch in the Kyger Gorge on opening day of hunting season and watch four or 500 deer pass by you as a kid, you don't get past that. And today to go over there and even glass up with a good spot and scope and find a mule deer in the Kyger, you Not know, easy. no. When Roy Roth and Cam Haynes and, and Dwayne Levitt and Jeff Brooks and I were kids, you know, in the 80s, we'd go over there and see 75 bucks underneath the gun notch in one evening the day before archery season opened, coming out to feed, 75 in just one spot. And then they were everywhere. And they're, yeah, we, we, were, we were big mule deer hunters, even though we couldn't hunt up our car keys or to save our life, <laughs> let alone kill anything. You know, we were big hunters, oh, man. Yeah. We were in there. We could chase those mule deer around with the best of them. All day. All day. Yeah, with, you know, you know, 2419 or 2219 aluminum arrows that, you know, <laughs> 30 yards is a long yeah. shot, you oh, know, man. right? You know, so, so that know, ecosystem's really just. It's a different isolated. ecosystem. So why are we losing deer there? 
Well, we have predators. Those things behind you back yeah. there. Yeah, that guy that right guy. there. They're eating 60 deer a year or more, yeah. you know. In the summertime, who knows what they kill for fawns, for fun, yeah. you know. And they sport kill. I'm sorry, it's a fact, you know. You got a house cat, he sport kills, right? Yeah. That's no different than that guy. Yeah. You know, if they've, got, if they've got the resource, they sport kill. Especially in the summertime, they don't eat tainted meat. I mean, they're gonna nope. come back, if it's full of bees and maggots, they're yeah. not eating it. Yeah. Wintertime, they slow down, they, they preserve it. But, you know, and then you have, you have all kinds of factors. You have coyotes, you have bobcats, you have you have all you have birds of prey which never add into it raptor birds and Jeff Brooks and I saw that firsthand in the in the Kiger Gorge we saw that firsthand on a golden eagle and mule deer fawns when we were kids in the 80s. That'd be crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to see and they're a big bird and they kill lots of fawns and especially in that open steep country. So that's something that we never weigh in on. You know, but we've got all kinds of pressures and, you know, on, and, and, and my argument always is if we can, if we have tools in the toolbox to make hunting better and we can promote hunting with it, we need to do it. Let's do something I mean, about it. You know, if there's one thing I know from the archery industry and being a pro shop and, you know, selling high-end equipment and good equipment, the best equipment we can sell is if you have a good product, people want to buy it. And, you know, there has to be a good product and there has to be service that comes with it, right? Yep. And so it, that's how many people would just dream to have any tag in Arizona, any tag in New Mexico, <laughs> right? Any tag in Wyoming. You got a good product, any, tag, any elk tag in Nevada, any premium elk tag in Utah, right? So anybody that has a good product, everybody wants to buy it. You know, so I, I'm firsthand on points in Utah, and I'm firsthand to tell you that, that that's a hard tag to draw for elk in a premium unit, right. very hard tag. And they don't give hardly any tags. Right. So, you know, right there, if you've got the product, people want to buy it. Why don't we use all the tools in the toolbox? And there was excuses given in that meeting. I, I brought that up. The excuse is we don't have the biology to support the removal. And, you know, Stan Steele had a great argument for that. You know, he goes, he goes, you don't, you, you can push forward, you know, like Nevada, you know, like Utah, you know, he had a study for Utah that he presented, you know, that he said, hey, the Utah did this, you're familiar with this, and they, they took their elk numbers from here to here on this particular predator removal, you know, area that they had. Yeah, what you're saying is hunters go in, hunt the predators, so we have hunters actually promoting the game, the, the, the mule deer populations. Well, so, so like administrative removal is not hunters. It's not. That, no, that would be no. Like that a, is government trapper, or that's a, that's a deputized. That's what they've done in Hepner. Yeah. That's what they've done in in the Steens. That's what they've done in in Winnehaw. And a lot of times for sheep, we'll do it. You know, we'll go in. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll do it for sheep. A lot of times, we'll do administrative removal. I think Winnehaw was focused on both elk and sheep. They were trying to restore, you know, bighorn sheep up there, you know, in in the Winnehaw because we'd lost a lot. I think we'd lost it down to where I think they'd eliminated that hunt. And I'm not, you know, sheep hunters. Um, you know, I've killed I think some farm animal type sheep. You know, when I've been on different hunts before, like in Maui and Hawaii and that kind of thing. But the whole sheep thing, you know, I, I'm probably going to push daisies before I ever pull a tag. You know, and there's there's some 12 year old kid that's going to get it every year, and I'm not going to get it, right? You know, so I, even in my hunting circle, we haven't drawn. You know, so it's 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 pretty crazy. But anyway, Phillips worked for me. You know, Chris Phillips, and he drew and killed a giant ram. And it's like, oh, this is like my third year I put in, and look, I drew. 
you know, one of those things. But anyway, sheep, you know, so I'm not super versed on it, but, you know, I know, you know, sheep have an emphasis, you know, if we're losing a lot of sheep, I, I know we go in and we do definitely some of them. Yeah, of it's definitely taken care because of. because the numbers are so Well, it's the revenue. It's, it's, it's the amount of revenue for the animal. You know, so, but we've got this growing group of hunters, right? And it's archery hunters. And, and it's the young guys. And, I mean, they're coming into it and everything. And we need to do everything we can to provide that product, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what we all put into. We don't want a reduction. We don't want to be stifled. And, you know, this was kind of my argument in leadership. And, and I think everybody in the room agreed, you know, because OHA was definitely adamantly opposed to doing this. I mean, at, they're, they're in promotion, too. You know, Oregon Outdoor Council was adamantly opposed. And, of course, you know, Robert Moreland and I, you know, traditional archers of Oregon, were adamantly opposed to this, you know, because what happens with draw tags? You go into a draw stack. Yeah, kind of outline then, for people that don't yeah. quite know exactly what. So everything was. east of the Cascades was going to go into a draw. There was going to be group units where you know obviously there's low percentage of harvest and low popularity, but you know we were going to there there was going to be a 1600 there was going to be 1600 hunters that were going to be cut out of the draw according to their numbers and that the they, numbers yeah, were given based on based what on they allocate for actual tags versus and general then tags and then they were yeah exactly compared to what they have now for their harvest reports that were reported for use of the units and then all non-residents were going to go to five percent so five okay. percent of those tags were going to go to non-residents right so there you are and Nick said that we had 450 non-residents that hunt, and I, you know, you could, I, I, there's no reason to argue that, but it just seems like we have more non-residents that participate in Oregon's archery season than that. But, but you know, far be it for me to ever argue statistics. Yeah, yeah, We're, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding statistics. So, you know, far be it for me to argue that. But, right. you know, that said, you know, any, and, and I, I, I brought this up to both Kevin Blakely you know, he's deputy director of Big Game, and then Nick's heading this process up. I go, you guys are here today. I go, you may not be here tomorrow. You may not be here. You may be here four or five years, but then you're gone. And then who who replaces you? And then all of a sudden, oh well, we have wolves, we have cougar, we have we have a problem, you know, with elk populations. So who's the first to cut? We're going to cut bow hunters. You know, so maybe three, four years down the road, oh, we've got a super pack of wolves that moved in here. Well, we got, oh, we got, never, we're going to cut all these bow hunters. Well, we can't have bow hunters in this unit. It, it never comes with a promotion. It comes with a deprivation. And it's never going to come back to what it like, you know. As yeah, no, it never returns, yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. And then all of a yeah. sudden it becomes the Ponzi scheme of the point race, right? So everybody, you know, oh, point creep, and we're into this, and then pretty soon nobody's hunting, right? Right. And so now we've lost our promotion of everything. And we don't have, a, we don't have any sound science you know, to support this. Right. When you get into you know, basic tag allocate you know, or harvest you know, um, equitability, sure, we have, we have a decent amount of harvest in the units that are brushy, like Starkey, Ukiah, and Hepner, and Desolation. Bow hunters do. Bow hunters do. You're you know, like but we're 12, talking fifteen percent success. Or? No, it's it's higher than that. Okay. It's higher than that. Oh yeah, yeah. We killed um, a fair amount of bulls in Starkey last year, and I think I think overall, I think it was it was pushing. Well, it's it's in it's in this report here. <laughs> Again, far be it for me to remember statistics. I don't yeah, want to get spanked on statistics, but I think it was pushing you know close to you know twenty five or thirty percent. Wow. Yeah. And so there was quite a few bulls killed in, in some of those target units that they're wanting to reduce tags on. But why? You know, 
rifle hunters, you know, are super successful in open units. I mean, if you take, there sure. again, let's go back to Steens. <laughs> There's very few deer killed by archery hunters and Steens, but rifle hunters, pretty good success rate. Pretty good. Yeah, well, you, you can see the animals, it's open country. Yeah. You know, so it's the obvious. But where we have brush, archery hunters have to get close. I mean, 25, 30, 40 yards. I mean, still, we can do anything we want to with technology with these bows, and we can make them smooth, quiet, more accurate, and everything. But you can step over there, and there's a 40-yard lane right there. That You're never going to make 40 yards a close shot. 40 yards is always going to be 40 yards, right? And most effective range for most bow hunters is 40 yards and under. 50 yards is a long shot. Yes, it is. I mean, a lot can take place from the time you cut that arrow loose to the time it gets to 50 yards, oh, right? Yeah. And everybody's seen that that's bow hunted for 25 or 30 years. You've seen that. It's unavoidable. And so, you know, really every hunter has a situational ethics and, a, and, and then he has this effective range. You know, every bow hunter, sure. every rifle hunter has that same thing. You know, but rifle hunting, obviously, my dad, you know, he grew up in the old days, a four-power scope. He thought 200 yards was a long ways to shoot, right? It was. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's changed with technology. But no matter what we do with a stick and a string here, no matter what we do, if you physically draw this bow and you physically aim it, you know, no matter what we make an arrow out of or whatever we make, you know, whatever we do with these bows, right. you know, 40, 50 yards is always going to be a long shot. Yeah. You're not going to change yeah. that. Yeah. And so we need a brushy unit to be successful in, you know? It's no different than when you guys cut your teeth on all the coast stuff, Road right? Stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when you go, I know you've hunted Colorado, you go to those Colorado timber zones, you have good success, you know, we calling do. those bulls in because you're into this effective Close. range, yeah. right? You can't see We actually yards. sometimes look for that kind of stuff. And I've, I've watched all your videos, it's effective range stuff, just like your coast stuff, and you look for that. I mean, you start, yeah, there's lots of elk in open country. Yeah. That's a tough deal, Still right? Still got to kill them. Yeah. Still got to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at Eastern Oregon, yeah, we have a lot of people that have figured out, yeah, if we have a heavy timber conifer zone, you know, we can be successful archery hunting because we can get close to game. It's simple, sure. right? Sure. And so that's why our success rate is good in those areas. But equitability across the whole spectrum of things, I mean, if you go to Chest Nimbus, I mean, we, you know, Chest Nimbus is a fairly open unit. There's some good success there for archery, but it's nowhere near as high as the brushier units. Really? You know, so, makes yeah, sense. makes sense, 100% yeah, sense. sense. I mean, the more open, more prairie you have, you know, the more elk you have in the prairie, you know, more eyes on you, the less success. You know, you get in a heavy timber zone, you know, so that's what we've got. And it all evens each other out, right? I mean, well, so lot. we're still, you know, the rifle harvest is still, so equitability on harvest is still rifle here and archery here, right. you know, but, you know, we've, we've raised some outbounds, but the idea is, my idea is like, we're supposed to be successful. I mean, no, no you know, th this is, and, and Mark Laphart was a part of this meeting. He's commissioner Mark Laphart, and, and he was there, and, and he, he sat on some fish committees, right? And he said, you guys are nowhere near as hardcore as any of the fishermen. He goes, they are hardcore. He goes, they almost, you know, they're, they're ready for blood when they come to these meetings. Oh, really? Yeah. And he goes, because, and, and I got to thinking about that. Fishermen don't go fishing to float around on a lake and not catch anything, right? <laughs> yeah. Or you don't float down a river not to catch anything, Correct. right? You're there to catch fish, right? And even fly fishermen, they're there to catch fish. They may release some, right. but you know, Still most of your hardcore steelhead and salmon guys, they want to eat a fish occasionally, right? Yeah. So you, it's all about it's all about the resource, all about catching fish. It's like you, there's whoever's sitting behind the oars, you know, that's oaring that boat all day, has done a lot of work. You, you know, you want to you want to produce. Right. It's about production. 
And you know, if you don't have fish, everybody's pissed. Doesn't right? look good. Doesn't look good. Yeah. But you know, us as archery hunters, we're pretty good with going out and enjoying the, the outdoors, experience, yeah. the experience, right? And so for archery hunters, if you switch over to archery, man, I had a, I called in this bull, I didn't get it. I mean, you have a lifelong experience and maybe not kill maybe something not because, oh my gosh, you had the biggest buck step up and he winded you and he took off before you could even get arrow loaded. How many times have I heard that over the years? Or, man, I, I was at full draw and this bull hung up and he was behind this tree and I held and I held and I held and he took off and I let up and I hear something bark and I turn around and a bull's running out right behind me. And it, I didn't kill anything, but it was just the most incredible experience ever. How many times have I've heard that thousands of times over the years? You get that through the experience in the outdoors. You the, get the, that through being out there, yeah. the opportunity to be there where, you know, yeah, we ultimately want to be successful sure, every sure. time, but we need to create opportunity. So that's always, you know, I'm proud of Oregon Fish and Wildlife that we have the diversity in this state and they've made a lot of opportunity for us. And so, you know, you can't fault us as being stakeholder groups representing our membership for trying to defend it every way we can. I mean, we don't want to lose that. And, every, and like I say, when we go into a special draw status, we lose. I mean, I gave you some numbers, Trent, there to that's look crazy. at. Yeah, no, this is. Uh... And there's, there, give me the deer numbers there from 1970 to so 1975. Are, yeah, so these are hunter numbers by species. So mule deer. And so when they had the, when they went to a draw, right? Mm -hmm. It was from 70 to 75. In 1970, it was 180,000, just over 180,000. Right. Hunters in 1975, it was 112. 112. Yeah. That's a substantial loss. And that was my dad. That was my dad. I'm like, Dad, when you go to Steens, no, it's a draw. I ain't messing with I ain't messing with filling out an application. I ain't doing it. I ain't going. And I'm like, Yeah, you are. I'm filling it out for you. <laughs> yeah. And I did. And I put in for it. But you know, he was done with it at that yeah. point. You know, he wasn't into regulation. It's another barrier to entry. It's another barrier to entry. So when you go to a special draw application, you, you know, we're just going to lose there. You're going to lose a, and it may a not percentage. be a giant, but you're going to lose a percentage. That's a pretty good percentage. And, you know, there we, you know, we want, you know, recruitment enhancement, you know, right? We yeah. want to recruit hunters. Sure. We don't, and, and we can, I've always said, and this, this applies to your guys' country because you grew up down there. And I, there was a couple years when I was a kid, I got taken down there and my eyes opened on a rifle hunt in, in Tioga. Oh okay? Boy. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> and I was, we're talking. And, and so I always gave the analogy, you could put, you could put 10 bow hunters on a landing and you could have across the canyon over there, you know, five, 600 yards away, you could have 30 bulls and, you know, about 100 cows. And that landing's not going to be crowded, right? But if you have three rifle hunters <laughs> on that landing, and you only have a couple bulls over, it's going to get crowded in a hurry, in isn't a it? In a fast way. And if you had if you had ten rifle hunters on that landing, it's going to be really crowded, really quick, right? So yeah. we so that's just my analogy on you can put a lot of bow hunters in an area, and they're not going to have a substantial effect immediate effect we got to be smart we sure. we got to we got to call we got to sit in tree stands we got to sit in ground blinds we got to be patient we need equity time of field because if you give us just a short time in the field we're not going to get it done you know we have to be there to figure it out and then it takes some guys it takes years to figure out 
okay, I have to do this and this. I have to take all these primary steps, preseason, you know, and during season, and then I need time for this to all materialize so I can be successful for sure. that one opportunity. To where- Hopefully. Hopefully. For that one opportunity. Yeah. And if it doesn't, I'm good with it because I was out there, I had the opportunity, it challenged me, and I'm good with it, yeah. right? And so, yeah, that's where, you know, we can be thankful that we live in Oregon and we have tremendous opportunity. We do. And, and we have our draw hunts. I mean, it's not like we're just, this is just a free-for-all for the whole state. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, our big ones, you know, Sled Springs, Chess Nemes, you know, Walla Walla, Mount Emily, Winnaha. Okay, right there, there's our dream hunts. Yeah, everybody, my son's got Winnaha this year. I'm pumped about going over there and spending some time with him. He's pretty pumped. He's, I think he's over there right now. He's, oh, is he it's over? his fourth trip. <laughs> <laughs> I tried you Mount know. Emily and that didn't work with 17 points. Yeah, you didn't no, draw. Didn't you draw. didn't draw. Didn't yeah. Jump. No, yeah. but I mean, it's just what it is. It is what it is for the, points. You got the point creep, so next year it's like, okay, yeah. 18 points, is that gonna maybe get it? Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, so our meeting went well. You know, we, we you know, all groups, you cool. know, weighed in on it. You know, and uh, you know, we're hopeful for an outcome. And you know, guys are like, how can I get involved? How can I make a change? How can I? How, that's, yeah, that's actually yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Mark, you know, Labhart, you know, our commissioner, you know, he encouraged. It. He goes, you guys need to inform your membership that you can go right on Oregon Fish and Wildlife's website right under commission you click on commission it goes right down and there's your commission link and everybody needs to write you know regardless of what your opinion you need yeah, to, yeah, you need to go in, in and it. you need to right. weigh in on it it's our way to vote it's our way to vote yeah it's and our voice it's our voice gotcha. yeah and you know you know really we have an awesome resource you know and and we have we have the resource you know it's not like you know if, if archery hunters were going out there and you know we were just killing all the deer and killing all the elk and we were we were a, a management bio you know scientific basis for us being reduced that's great you know we're the first ones to agree that hey if if there's some way that we are hurting our resource we are the first ones as conservationists is to acknowledge that and say yeah we're going to take a step back you know we need to do that but no, we need to go the other direction. We need to take the tools of management that ODFW has. We need to do predator removal. You know, we need to we we need to do you know we need to do habitat enhancement. We do everything we can. We need to close roads. You know, sure, roads are you know for a lot of you know people, roads can be a real resource. You know, to get them into the country. But as far as bow hunting, so you've already chose. A primitive weapon mm -hmm. you know I think more than ever we need to encourage more road closures for bow hunters we're already a difficult group to harvest things you didn't step into this group because hey I'm just gonna go you know pull up and shoot everything you know with a bow right. you know I'm already in the primitive weapons category we need to encourage road closures we need to do everything we can to increase the resource you know and make it make it a difficult resource and make it available to recruit people. Everybody that walks in that's new, hey, I wanna try bow hunting, I wanna get into this, you know. Well, great, we've got all this opportunity, you know, let's jump in, we have, we have two seasons. You know, you have a month, of, you know, early season, you have a month if you jump into deer and if you draw late season cow, you can hunt a couple weeks in late season, you know, cow hunts. I mean, we have all this opportunity, jump into it, take advantage of it. So on these proposals, is it management <clears throat> objectives that they're trying to, like is it like 
I, I guess I'm trying to understand the thought process or science behind some of the proposals. Is there been anything pointed out to you that, that's really been definitive of why the proposal outside of pressure? Outside of overcrowding, um, pressure, portability of tags, um, uh, elk moving onto private because of pressure. And, you know, that's arguable. Um, I think a lot, you know, and if you think about the, you know, the way our units are laid out and the way our Forest Service grounds laid out, you know, elk, you know, naturally will move into private. Well, a lot of it, and, you know, I'm pro cattle, you know, ranching, oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. But it's undeniable that everybody's been to the north side unit, everybody's been to desolation, everybody's been to most of these units, we have a lot of grazing. Mm -hmm. And it's pummel dust, right? Overgrazing. You mean. And and us being elk hunters, we know that elk don't enjoy cattle, right? They they'll live with them sometimes, but a lot of times they'll move them right out of the unit. Sure. So everybody moves their cattle to the high ground during the summer months, and the elk move to the ranches. And I mean, you know, this year we're going to have over the counter starting August first. We have we have four thousand cow tags for private property in Starkey, in Ukiah, in, in all the neighboring you know, private property areas, even in, even in, uh, you know, in, in, in the Mount Emily mm -hmm. unit, you know, we have private property tags that are going to be pretty much over the counter and 4,000 tags is pretty much unlimited. It's their only elk opportunity, but you can go buy that and you can contact a private property owner. You yeah. may have to pay a trespass fee. They may let you hunt for free. It's, you know, that's private property owner's discretion, mm -hmm. but you can go in there and shoot a cow August 1st and it goes all the way to November 30th, okay? That's a pretty broad season right there to kill elk on private ground. And, you know, Oregon Fish and Wildlife's idea is that it's gonna push the elk off of private back up onto the public. But my argument would be, you know, it's not, we're, we're Johnny come lately, you know, when we get there, the cattle have already been there, you know, all summer. And so a lot of your, a lot of your movement, in my opinion, is not, you know, the hunting community. Sure, I mean, hunters are going to move elk around. But the idea, you know, during the rut, you get elk going every direction. And I mean, they, they're going to move off. And then, and then the private ranches are hunting too. I mean, you know, Opal Buell Ranch, a friend of mine, Casey Hawker, they're, they try to take great pains to make sure that they don't move their elk off, off of their the private. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they, they, they're still moving elk around still regardless. Moving. I mean, you know, they're moving elk off of their private back up on the public, you know. And so there's a lot of elk movement, you know. It's not that we're just ru running all the elk out of the, you know. And then areas like desolation, I mean, you know, you've got the North Fork of the John Day Wilderness there. I mean, those elk are there. Yeah. You know, you're not going to move them around in that brush. You know, that's, that's a unit you don't, you might move them from one ridge to another, and they're going to be back. You know, so there's, there's elk just, and there's elk just moving in there. Right. You know, and sure, there's hunter pressure, but that's, that is a very thick unit. So. so from your sentiment, do you think that ODFW is open to the public like they're encouraging that input and, and so like I, I, I think mind on it or I, I would hope yeah I would hope I, I'm I wasn't you know I didn't come out of that meeting with a you know a real rosy feeling that that you know as stakeholder groups that that we're the final say by any means you know um, they heard us you know Commissioner Labart you know he heard us um, you know we we made a strong case you know, for, you know, we want opportunity, you know, um, we don't want to see our opportunity go away with the only group that, that is really growing in hunting, 
we're, we're not, we don't want to see that. No way, shape, or form. And so, you know, that's, that's pretty, we made that case pretty crystal clear. As far as, you know, the, the hunting community weighing in, yeah, I mean, the bow hunting community needs to weigh in more than ever on this, you know, through that, you know, link on the commission's website. Okay. You know, that's, that's paramount right now. To sign up for, you know, we're, we're probably gonna have a, another Zoom meeting for a commission meeting, and I think, what will we? September 13th, 13th is, yeah, the, is the commission meeting. I, I'm gonna be in Wyoming. I have a very good tag, you know, for Wyoming that I've waited nine years to draw. And so one of our other representatives will probably give the three and a half, you know, you get three minutes. You get three minutes to weigh in. And basically, this gives you time to say, you know, we're not, we're not at all for this, you know, any way, shape, or form. We're, we're for promoting, you know, opportunity sure. for, for, you know, the future of hunting, the future of bow hunting. You know, it's, it's important. You know, if guys don't drive a rifle tag, you know, if you didn't draw your rifle side and, you know, you didn't have a chance to, you know, draw an archery tag, I mean, yeah. and then here, here comes Western Oregon. Right, and you guys well know, and you guys can weigh in on this better than anything. You know, fire danger between, you know, like 2015 and 2018. Three years. Three years. You wouldn't have bow hunted no. if you would if you wouldn't have had a tag. Like if if that tag draw would have been in place, then you wouldn't have had a tag for east side of the Cascades. The Cascade Mountains were on fire. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, just south that. was on fire. Everywhere yeah. was on fire. Everywhere was on fire. Yeah, we got you had to travel to Eastern Oregon, and and so some of the data that they collected was from those years, yeah. because guys had to go from your, you know, from the coast range, you know, the Cascades past that can't hunt that. Keep going. Keep going. You got to hunt Eastern Oregon. So yeah, we probably had some crowding in those years. Guys wanted to hunt. I mean. Coos Bay is, you know, Roseburg. I mean, you guys got hubs of bow hunters in those areas. I mean, great bunch of bow hunters in all those areas, you know. They want to travel, you know. The guys from Eugene, Portland, you know, they wanted, you know, they had to travel to another area. And I know if we would have had this tag draw, you know, situation for archery in my, you know, hunting lifetime for archery, there probably would have been 10 years I wouldn't have bow hunted at all. Because I can remember so many years that, you know, Murders Creek was all closed down. The whole thing, the whole bloody thing was on fire. fire. If I'd had a Murders Creek tag, guess what? I was in bow hunting that year. Yeah. If, if, if desolation, oh my gosh, I mean, there's been so many fires in there. 395 closed, every access closed, no access. And I mean, that's not Oregon Fish and Wildlife making that decision. No, that's, that's, that's U.S. Forest Service right, making that right. decision. They could and care it, less yeah. if there's a portion of that unit that's not on fire and you want to hunt it. You're not hunting it. No. It's a $2,300 fine if you cross that line. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that's something that bow hunters deal with in Oregon is fire danger. Due to yeah. September and season And, and even, yeah. even some of the early season, you know, our, our, our opening October, we've had some Octobers where yeah. rifle hunters had to deal yeah. with it. Yeah. You know, so they can actually be sympathetic with us in what we're dealing with in August and September because we're on fire. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to have the be able to be, you know, portability. You have to be able to move because, yeah, I want, you know, Beulah last year was on fire, yeah. you know, and, you know, a whole jar large portion of that unit was closed. Forest Service just goes to every every arterial chink right there. They got a guy sitting right there. They got the you know, the, the roadblocks right there. You're not entering. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do you think that there is a compromise of what from what they propose to what that that would mediate both? Or? So we offered some compromises, okay. but I I you know I don't think they're going to get bid on. You know. Um, you know, so, and I don't even want to go into them, 
you know, um, you know, there again, you know, standing behind this counter for 32 years, I've heard a lot of, you know, really good management, yeah, you know, sure. ideas. And, and I gave, you know, I gave just a couple of them mm -hmm. and, and Robert Moreland, you know, gave, gave one, I gave one, you know, with traditional archers of Oregon. And, you know, so we've got some great ideas, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a good, it was a good meeting. And it, I aired some other stuff out, you know, that we talked about earlier, like, yeah, yeah. like spring bear, for instance, I mean, you know, and I just throw that one out there. I mean, there is no reason in the world why we shouldn't have statewide unlimited Quota. youth at least youth. bear at tags. Least youth. No youth. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because there is no reason why every kid in this state shouldn't be able to hunt. Northeastern Oregon, Eastern Oregon, and South. anywhere southwest or anywhere in the coast for spring bear, unlimited tags because we have the resource. Well, everybody that, that everybody that steps in the woods yeah. right now knows that we have an overpopulation of bear. And it's a resource that we have. It's a big game resource. It's a fantastic table fare. You can that, you do the old home canning process. That yeah, bear good. meat is outstanding. No, I, and, I, and, and there's nothing like taking a kid bear hunting. I mean, no, their eyes are yeah. giant. Yeah. I mean, it's a bear. It has an element of danger. I, if, I always said if, if bear had antlers, it'd be like the most perfect <laughs> animal, <laughs> you know, be the best animal ever. Because there's an element of danger, you know, they're a bear. I mean, oh, yeah. I remember the first time I took my son, you know, spring bear hunting, we went to sled Springs chest nemesis oh, and yeah. pulled up and I mean the first time he looked through the spot and scope and saw a cinnamon bear on a hillside I mean his eyes were as big as saucers I mean it's like oh my gosh it's a bear right it's a bear and it aligns right and with that recruitment what style. was a great way to recruit kids and so we and that proposal was one of the first ones in recruitment enhancement and and it's it, not there it's not there it's not there and it could be, and it should be. Yeah. And it's a crime above all. I think it's a crime, it's you know, that we're not utilizing that resource because every kid, and if we're worried about kids killing too many bears, we got to check them in, let's throw a quota on them. There you go. Let's throw a quota on them. The 24 hour closure yeah. on a quota. But they're doing, they're doing check-ins anyway. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, easy, yeah. easy one. Yeah. Um, so with, uh, with the ability of technology, we can do some questions. Are, we, are you cool with that? Yeah, Take some yeah, questions. Absolutely. Cody, are you good with your, on your end? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, okay. I, I mean, the biggest thing was like the ability to comment. Um, and after this video gets up, we'll put the link in the description where you guys can click on and, and uh, put your words in, get your voice heard by the commission on this. I think that's a, a big factor. And Right, right. You know, just we have we have a freshman crew of commissioners. Okay. Right. And so um, and then there's there's more commissioners are going to be appointed here shortly. Okay. You know, and, uh, you know, I. I, I, I'm encouraged with with our new group of commissioners. Um, I think I think they're concerned, Good. and and I think that you know I think the hunting community can go a long way you know to help them their voice and 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 kind of help them you know, understand where we're coming from and where our passions are. I think it's super important that you know when you write letters and 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 you voice that that you know that comes out. I mean, remember, you're not speaking to another hunter when you're writing to the commission. And Mark Laphart is is a sportsman, you know, and and we may have some more on there, but you know, um, these are people that are on there, and they're they're like you know they're supposed to be like you know like Lady Justice. She has a blindfold and she weighs she weighs what staff brings staff brings the proposals right. and then they look at the hunting community and they look at the community as a whole everybody that's testifying and they look at them and they're like you know you know we want to make sure that we have conservation and we want to make sure that we have you know 
uh, basically opportunity, you know, yeah. for us, you know, because we're paying for the resource. You know, we drive we drive the machine. You know, we want to make sure that we got fuel for the fire, basically. No, it was a good point. Like the LWCF, the Land Water Conservation Fund, just got passed mm -hmm. yesterday, and it was, I think, a big driver from people actually taking action, being involved, mm -hmm. hearing their voice. So. Yeah, it's it's time. It's time. If you've yeah. never taken action, I mean, if if it's just a few lines, hey, I love to bow hunt. I love to see the game. You know, I want to be out there. I don't want to have my opportunity stifled. I don't want to miss a year. Life is short. I mean, one year, I always said, you know, guys will come in and they go, oh, I didn't hunt last year. I'm like, you know, buddy, there's only so many Septembers in one man's lifetime. I mean, there's only Great so many. And you miss that. one, that you never get it back. Not get it You're back. not going to get it back. And I mean, you know, Lord lets you know real quick that, hey, life's short. I mean, you know, we're only here for a period of time. And then, you know, what more than what I want, I, we're working for passing it down. I mean, I've got three grandkids and I've got a son, See? you know, and I've got a bunch of daughters that hunt and I want to be able to pass them on something, you know, one, a resource. I want to make sure that predators aren't eating all our, you know, harvestable, you know, big game, you know, deer and elk. Sure. I, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. And, you know, we're losing that battle right now, gentlemen. I mean, we're losing that battle big time. Yeah. You know, and then more than that, I want to make sure that they have opportunity on all of them, on all yeah. game species, you know, whether it's cougar, bear, deer, elk, you know, turkeys, whatever. I want to make sure that that so that's what we need to work for. It's the opportunities that you've had. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So questions. What do we got here? To start off, uh, what, what can a new bow hunter in Oregon do as far as having our voice heard and how can we take action? Yeah, so, so we've covered yeah, the question we covered we, that, we, so. yeah, we, we covered is just about the commission link. Like I said, we'll put the link in the description after this yeah, video. Yeah, the commission needs to hear from you. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of questions about wolves in Oregon. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, We're going to get Wayne started on this one. So I, I was involved in a, in a wolf symposium that I was invited to in 2006 in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, Dan Ash, he was, he was Obama's appointee for wildlife services at the time. Mm -hmm. And he had a map and in his presentation and, and their, their mission statement, now this is federal fish and wildlife. Everybody, you got to understand that Oregon Fish and Wildlife is our state organization, right? right? It's our state department of Oregon Fish and Wildlife. Federal Fish and Wildlife has a mission statement. It's to restore you know, game populations and game animals wherever it's possible. Gotcha. You know, so the wolf reintroduction, he, it was his subject. It was Dan's subject. And he came in and there was, Pete Shepley was in the meeting. You know, uh, David Allen was the president, he was, a, you know, president of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. He was in the meeting. He sat right next to me, you know, and uh, he had a map up and he had all these pins all over this map and they were wolf reintroduction areas. We had pins all over Oregon. And I raised my hand after his, his presentation and I said, Dan, I go, you got pins all over Oregon. And his mission say, we're, we're his, his exact words were, we're aggressively reintroducing wolves wherever there's wolf habitat, all over the western half of the United States. And he had pins all over Oregon. And I, I raised my hand and I said, Dan, I said, you got pins in Oregon. I go, is that, what, what, is that PACs or is that, oh, those are reintroduction areas. And he had them all over Oregon. And he had all over the western half of the United when? States. This, this was in 2006. Six. Yeah, this was in 06. Wow. And, and so, you know, Federal Fish and Wildlife has their own agenda. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with Oregon Fish and Wildlife. We have a wolf plan. 
And, you know, that wolf plan passed this last year. And if you watched any of the meetings, and you can go on, if you want to watch any of the meetings, you can go on and, you know, the wolf plan was presented by staff and it's very extensive right. and has a lot of, you know, even to try to start to understand it, it has a lot of facets to it. And, uh, but, but basically, you know, if you meet delisting criteria, which we do, which Kurt Melcher, you know, testified that, you know, yeah, we, we're ready for delisting, we've met the criteria. And Kate Brown said, um, we're no, not we're, we're not going to delist wolves. So we have a conflict between departments there, which was kind of interesting. But, you know, I've said this over and over. I watched all the testimony. I actually testified the day before on, on game issues, but I didn't go back up there the next day for the wolf thing because they, had, I, I can't remember, they had hundreds of people signed up for testimony. Oh, I, I, I can't remember how many they got to, but the argument's always going to be when it comes from, the left, so to speak, you know, sure. which is not the hunting community. When the argument comes for the wolves from the left, it's always gonna be the same. And, and, and I've read this in throughout all their, they don't want outdoor recreation where there's wolves in, in, in the wild. They don't, they, so no camping, no fishing, right. no backpack. They, they don't want cattle ranching wherever there's wolf, you know. Okay. So they want this- Reintroduction area. No they don't want, they don't want hunting in those areas no hunting where there's wolves in, in and and you know and then they're never going to okay any kind of removal whether it's you know whether it's a livestock deprivation you know or anything they, they don't see the, the 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 left so to speak when they come and testify and it was 90 percent of the testimony and you can go on youtube and you can watch all of it and it's just the same over and over and over and it, it doesn't matter whether we have 175 wolves confirmed in Oregon, 275 wolves, or 2,700 wolves confirmed in Oregon, or 5,000 wolves confirmed in Oregon. The argument's never gonna change. It's gonna be the same. It's never gonna change. That argument is gonna be, you're not gonna kill a wolf, you're not gonna remove a wolf because he's killing livestock, you're not gonna hunt a wolf, and then you're definitely gonna, managing wolves is out of the question. You're not going around You're it. not going around it. Wolves need to dominate the landscape and basically take over and you know if you look at Yellowstone for example they've closed every migration hunt out of Yellowstone mm. for elk um, the the population has just been stifled so basically, you know and then the wolf population hunt. went up and then the wolves actually started killing themselves and came down and now you have buffalo very few wolf, very few elk and very few of anything else and you know the propaganda is always there oh it's you know we have riparian zones and we have songbirds and you know, we have beaver in the creeks and, you know, the elk aren't just destroying the riparian zones and everything, but, oh. you know, yeah. And I've never thought that that was an issue before. Before, right, yeah. right. Before wolves were reintroduced. I mean, that's yeah. just all of a sudden a new issue, you know, so. And then, you know, this is the thing. The gray wolf was exterminated out of lower 48. I mean, just plain and simple. Yeah. And the gene pool that we have for wolves comes from Canada, Northern Territories. So you take, and anybody that understands and this is easy, canine bloodlines. You have a poodle, you have a German shorthair, you have a Doberman pincer, you have a German shepherd. You have different bloodlines, you have a lab, you have different bloodlines. So what's stronger than a canine bloodline? I own a German shorthair. I could not beat the bird at her. When she was a little tiny puppy, you'd take her out and put her on the lawn, you know, to go potty, and there were little Tweety Bird, plunk! And I mean, she's pointing at that, and she's this big. Yeah. It's a, in the blood. And canine bloodlines, there's nothing stronger than a bloodline in a canine. So you take a wolf, and let's say creation, by my estimate, and this is a lot of argument, that biblically I believe that creation is maybe seven or 8,000 years old. 
You take a wolf that's been in the Northern Territories for four or 5,000 years, and it's done nothing but chase, kill caribou, as many as they can, dig a hole in a muskeg and cache them, eat every seventh one, you know, that they cache. In the wintertime, they go back, smell them out, dig them out, pull them out. They're preserved. They've been stuffed in the muskeg, and they eat on them. Right. And that's what they've done for all these years, right? And they kill as many as they can. You trap that wolf up there. You bring it down to lower 48, and then everybody's puzzled like, there was a website that you could go to. It's probably still up. It was Save Our Elk Idaho. And you could go to that website, and they had nothing but documentation where they'd be on a snow machine, and they'd get on a pack of wolves, the wolves had run like 80 or 100 head of elk. Yeah. So they killed every one of them. And some of them would just be maimed or they just, the elk could still be alive, but it'd just be sitting there. You know, so you can't blame the wolf for that. See, that's where the whole wolf hating thing I don't understand because it's not the wolf's fault. No. He's doing what his bloodline tells him to do. He's not chasing caribou anymore. He's chasing elk in the lower 48. They come into a pasture of sheep and they kill 60 sheep. It's what they do. It's what they're bred to do. It's what they've done for 5,000 years. You don't change that. So you got to understand when it comes to the wolf argument, you have to understand canine bloodlines. And anybody that's a dog owner understands that without a doubt. Yeah. And so you bring that wolf down here. And that was something that Dan said. He goes, you know, in his wolf symposium, because we were asking questions. And it's like, you know, one of the major questions, is why don't the wolves eat what they kill? Or why do they sport kill? Or why do they chase? You know, there's a lot of terms for it. Yeah. And, and he's like, well, we're puzzled about that. And he raised pointing labs. And I had a good opportunity to talk to him after the meeting for quite a while. And I said, how long did it take him to develop a pointing lab? And he goes, oh, well, yeah, a long time. And, you know, we got to listen. And he's explaining all of it. And I go, so that's in the blood. So, you know, and I explained to him my whole theory on, you know, when this wolf lives in this area and does nothing but chase caribou for all this time, you know, it's in the blood. You bring them down here, you turn them loose, they propagate. This is what they do. They kill. Super killer. Super killer, right. Super pack, super killer, super kill everything. It's what they do. It's not their fault. I mean, because of political push right. of this attitude that we needed to bring these wolves down here, and they're the missing link, it's all going to be better. It's not the wolf we had here. Right. It's not the wolf we had here in history. And you know, if you want to go into it in more in depth, um, Val Geist is, he's a, a zoologist, biologist, Calgary, Alberta, you know, is where he lives. He is the wolf guy. He has done more seminars, you know, you can learn more from that guy than everything. And you get into the hyditis portion of it where the hyditis tapeworm, you know, he's big on that. And that's, that's all the stuff you see on social media where there's all these cysts in deer and elk and yeah. livestock, and then people get it and they die from it and everything. The wolf's carrier of it. Ron Anglin came up to me, I think we had an they, they did an administrative removal on wolves a few years back, and the wolves that they took out of Northeast Oregon, they, they, they're a carrier of it, and they had it. The ones that they removed, they tested them and they had really? it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So anyway, that's, and, and that thing, when you get into that, that's a whole nother subject, and it, is, yeah. it can be rough for not only big game, for pets, for livestock, for humans. Yeah. Because you catch it, you contact it, it does the same thing to you. It grows cysts all over your vital organs and you're dead in seven to nine months unless they catch it early. And I think there's a cure for it if they catch it early, but there's been a lot of people die from it, especially in Idaho. So all that, there's your, there's your answer on wolves. Wolves is a tough deal. Um, are we ever gonna manage them in Oregon? So I will just say this, hunting is not management. My dad was 
was a trapper. I grew up trapping in a trapping household. And they had an old saying, all your old trappers had old saying, you got a male and a female predator on the landscape. In four to five years, you better figure out how to kill as many of them as you can, as often as you can, as quick as you can, because without that, they're gonna overpopulate and you're gonna have a terrible problem. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's coming from an old, old school management, right. you know, perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, are we ever gonna have management on coyotes? Well, unless they're worth two or $300 or $400, no. I mean, probably not. probably not, you know. Yeah. What do we got next? All right, next question. Is there any chance to stop the east side drop proposal or is it likely a done deal? I would like to think yes. Um, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Um, your involvement's gonna be important. You know, the level of involvement that you give the commission is gonna make a big difference on that. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't hurt to contact staff. It doesn't hurt to call your local biologist. It probably doesn't hurt to call the director's office. Sorry, Kurt, I'll just have to throw you under the bus there, but um, <laughs> Kurt Melcher's a good man. He's, a, he's, he's been a friend of mine for a long time. I, I like Kurt. He's been a good man for Oregon Fish and Wildlife. Um, you know, he's your director. Uh, he's our guy. He steers the ship. Um, they need to hear from everybody. They need to hear how passionate you are about the loss of opportunity. I wouldn't like to think it's a done deal. Okay. Next question. Is the proposal to create individual draw units for every unit? or will it be more regional like the South Blue Spring Bear Tag or the High Deer Desert Muzzleloader Tag? So, you know, I've got, I've got the units here and, you know, rather than go over them, so your major popular units, which everybody can probably guess, you know, is, but um, Trent, why don't, why don't me stumble through yeah, those with my glasses. Just, so there's your block units right there. The rest of them are individuals. So yeah, your so block units the, are. The question is, is, um, gotcha. Is this going to be a single unit or a group unit like some like the? And a lot of the popular units are going to be groups, but the the block units that they have suggested are just right there. Right. So you're going to have uh, Keno, Klamath Falls, Sprague, Upper Deschutes, Palina, Metolius, Warner, Interstate, Silver Lake, and Fort Rock in a in a group. In a group. And then your next group is going to be South Malheur River, Oahe, Whitehorse, Steams, Beatty's Butte. Juniper and wagon tire. Low elk population. Low elk population. That's on the elk yeah. side. Yeah. And then after yeah. that, it's individual. Yep. After that, it's individual. It's individual. Yep. So that'll answer that question. What are we going to do about point creep? It's a big question. It's a big question. Yeah. So the question was, uh, what are we going to do about point creep? So, <laughs> the I think the, all these all the states basically, aside from Idaho, is the only one. Yeah, you know, you're going to deal with that. Yeah, Idaho, New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico. New Mexico, New Mexico is lottery. Yeah. So you know, there's you know, once you start a point system, you know, it's going to work for a period of time, and then it becomes a Ponzi scheme, right? It's just plain and simple. Sure. You know, so guys my age that have already drawn out and are in the pool again, you know, I'm up to ten points. I drew an I, I drew an 09 for Winnehaw. And okay. I think I got 11 points now. I didn't draw this year, so I'm back up to 11 points, right? Yeah. And so, where's 11 points do? You know, yeah, I could draw some stuff. You know, I could, I could, but if, but if you want, you know, the big three, you know, 17 didn't draw Mount Emily. You know, 21. maybe the Walla Walla. The though is there is that whole. I mean, we're, we're, you're at uh, what Sled Springs seven, six, mm -hmm. seven, and then your next jump is. Mount Emily, uh, Walla Walla at so if you're looking at and then if you look at the whole picture, there's nothing in between. So there's rifle hunts, you know. So I was informed that I, I think Starkey takes five five points for rifle okay. side. Okay. So you can rotate in and out of there probably quicker than you can rotate for the archery draws. So the archery right. draws are much harder. Yep. So 
I had a proposal for that. And so, you know, Winnehaw, Walla Walla, and Mount Emily, and Sled Springs is obviously healthy. Yeah. Obviously healthy for bull cow ratios, yeah. obviously healthy with bulls. You know, my suggestion was like a G or Jubilee. So you would need, and, and, and I, think, I think there was a few years back we discussed it, you know, all of a sudden one year Arizona did it, where yeah. they, just, they just like doubled their tags. But I don't think they, they don't think they notified the they drawing committee. They didn't inform anybody. They didn't inform anybody, they just did it. But I think it would be important to inform everybody. Yeah. But if you did a year of Jubilee, like, okay, we've got 40 tags, I think, for Winnehaw for archery. And, you know, and, and 40 tags for rifle and, and, sure. and so on. So what you could do, you know, if you had the management resource, you could double those tags, but you'd make everybody aware of it. So guys could drop in, you know, luck of the draw would be higher, everything would be higher, but you'd have yeah. one year. And if you did it every five, it would clean the system. It would help clean the system. It I may not. It may not clean the system totally. Right. But it would pull down. It wouldn't eliminate point creep, but it would pull it down. It would pull yeah. it down. And if you had the management resource to do it, why not do it? Right. To meet you know, to meet objectives in the unit. To meet objectives. And, and tell people about it because obviously, if, if yeah, I'm you want it, for it and I you're going to be pissed if yeah, you I just mean, think you're going to go in there pissed. and you're not going to see anybody and it's just going to no, you're going to have double the amount of people in there. Sure. But still not a lot of people. Still be a I mean, you spread 80 people over, you know, Winnehaw, you may still not see anybody, right? right. You know, yeah. and then there's going to be guys that are going to kill out the first week, the second week. Some guys are just going to go in. There's a five point. They're going to call it in. They're going to kill it. So you're losing guys all along yeah. in those high success units. So by the last two weeks, you may only have 30 guys or 40 guys left there. So it was always my idea, you know, and there again, it came through that front door. Believe me, these, you know, I. I, I, one time I went to one of the commission meetings and I wasn't saying much and they asked me, Wayne, what, what, you haven't said much. And I go, just ask me, I got all the answers. And I, I didn't mean to sound like just super arrogant, but I, I, I realized when I said it, I was right. like, oh, it's like the most out. arrogant yeah. thing I could say, right? That didn't come out right, guys. I'm sorry. But no, I mean, all the years that I've stood there, 32 years, I, I've, you know, asked me a management question that, is, that, that I, I've heard it. I mean, it, from every side, I've heard, you know, everything. I, I've got modifications of choose your weapon, you know, on this. I've got right. modifications of traditional archery, you know, and, and so I've got every kind of modification for this that there is. I mean, you know, we've got like four or five different proposals just for this, you know. So, yeah, and but they're not even worth airing because, you know, we need, we need the immediate battle. I mean, right. we're not going to go back and form some different weapon. We're on the battlefield right now. We need, right. to, we need to address this right now. Question is, will West Oregon still be general season to hunt if we don't draw on the east? It will. Yeah. As the question, present. The question was, will Western Oregon still be general as of right now? As of right now. This year, yes, it will. But there again, there's my fear. You know, oh, all of a sudden Western Oregon, you know, the coast range is crowded, you know, West you know, guys can hunt over there. You know, we got another couple thousand guys hunting over here. You got the 1600 they cut, and then they got, you know, the guys that just didn't want to get involved with it. Well, we're just going to hunt the Cascades or we're going to hunt the coast. And, you know, now, so for example, Warehouser permits for Windling last year okay. took a week and a half to sell the permits for the motorized permit, took okay. a week and a half, sold out in 12 minutes. This year. This year. Sold out in 12 power, power sold minutes. out in for the powers uh, warehouser farm. It sold out fast. Yeah. Same. So there you go. You got a good product. People want to buy that product, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and people that. that have hunted that have found it's a quality hunting experience. Hunt. It polices itself. They get to drive in there. You get to cut a cord of wood. You know, it's a great hunting experience. Yeah. They're not just shooting every, you know, spike and doe on weekends anymore. I mean, this is a great hunting experience. So, you know, there you go. So my fear, that, my fear is if this goes, oh, well, we've got all this overcrowding. And, you know, no matter what the biology is, we did without biology here. We didn't have sound science for this one. We're going to throw this in. It's, it's just... It's just, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it's 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 a Pandora's box yeah. at that point, and then there again, we're losing opportunity, and gotcha. all the way down the road, looking into the future. I don't want that. No way. Couple more. Can we extend archery season a week long? So we can say longer. The east elk don't even rut till the end of the season. That's a toughie. Um, you know, we need to be thankful for what we have. Yeah, I mean that's a month. It's pretty generous. I mean, yeah. I've yeah, we need to be thankful for what we have, guys. Thirty-day yeah. season is. Oh my gosh, love it. We're not we're we're not Montana. Right. It it doesn't doesn't close on October fifteenth and open on True. September first. Yeah. True. You know, but. you can draw a Montana tag. Go to Montana. I did this you year. Know. You did. Yeah. 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 Extend it. Extend yeah. it. Extend it that way. Put in for Montana. Draw that. Be thankful for what we have. Within a month, you. Yeah. No. Should, be thankful. You should have an opportunity. Yeah. To combat the potential loss of opportunity, is the commission considering making a method of to to take changes? The question was, go ahead, Re read that one more time. To combat the potential loss of opportunity, is the commission considering making method of take changes? That's what method of take. Method of take. Gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So, so to combat the. Uh, opportunity loss are they willing to change the method of take so i'm assuming he's talking um rifle arch archery I'm, I'm not sure on the question honestly right. yeah that's that the method of take is is your weapon yeah, right. yeah. you know whatever you're carrying in your hand i mean yeah. you know um did you they know, propose maybe... any changes for rifle like the general eastern oregon rifle hunts in this to get, like on the spike tag well they're having to drop they're having to drop tags especially on mule deer because i mean we came out of this you know we're we're deathly low on on numbers so they had to adjust them and you know that was part of their justification for you know taking the you know the deer side away from us and you know we're having to adjust all these rifle tags you know terribly low archery hunters need to take that hit too you know so yeah it was part of it you know my argument there is is i mean still i mean i go back to the highway deprivation thing i mean if we're killing more deer on a highway than than archery hunters are killing in a whole season I, I i'm not having a lot of sympathy for that argument you know if if it's failed management if we have failed management you know why does why does the supporting community you know, if you have an employee and he fails constantly, he just wants more money all the time, you're going to give him more money. You want better job performance out of that employee, right? Sure. Right. If you're a boss, you know, you don't. So we're, the, we're sitting in this driver's seat. We're the boss here, right? We want better management. We don't want failed management. Right. Don't come back and tell us that we have poor nutrition. Don't come back and tell us that we can't do, you know, predator removal. Don't come back and tell us that you have to do the sacrificing. You know, so that'd be like an employee coming, like, I need $35 an hour instead of $16 an hour, and I'm going to sit more. Right. I'm going to sit on my butt over here in the corner and, and text more and do less job performance. No, that doesn't work. I mean, we need performance out of management. So method of take, you know, that's a long ways around that question yeah. right there. Yeah. Okay, another one. If we're being honest, what was the real motive to go to e-tagging? Is there 
Is there a change coming to the way data is collected in the field by DFW phylogists? So the question is uh, e-tagging. So is there a change in the way? Data is there a change in the way that uh, data is collected? So data is collected. Yeah, I mean they're going to know if you're in the unit that you're punching the tag in. I mean, there's some good stuff in there. I yeah. think, you know, and, and if you're a straight up, I mean, now last year, of course, it was a slow start. I know a guy that, you know, could not could validate, validate his tag. Validate his tag. Yeah. And we've yeah. heard of all of them. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and there's a lot of understanding. Winter steel and fishing. Right. Know, it was like right when it came out, we had issues there. Um, and there's yeah. a, once it once it kind of fleshed itself out though it was the easiest thing ever for steel for fishing I I, yeah and I personally I feel like it's a good management tool because mm -hmm. now we have accurate I, I had accurate buddies data. when they got phone calls and it's like yep I hunted every single day nope I didn't kill a thing <laughs> I mean, that, that, when they got the, oh I like, love that you know I mean yeah. that was because yeah. they, they felt like it was a you know so I yeah. think this is no a, this is this is and, and you know I you know everybody doesn't want any more intrusion right but let's let's face it. I mean, we're in a straight up world here. You know, we need to be. You know, we we walk in. You know, that that narrow path. We need Everybody, to be accountable. we need to be accountable. 100%. That was our argument with hunter reporting, mandatory right. hunter reporting. Is we need to be accountable. Yeah. You know, it's time. It was. It's high time. Yeah. You know. And so yeah, e tagging. Yeah, I think I think it's super important that they have that data. They're going to know where in the unit you were, where you where you harvested that animal, the time and date and everything. And we need to be responsible just like harvest reporting. It's like when we were doing Hewlett Packard, Oregon Fish and Wildlife used to contract with them. And I heard a far be it for me on statistics and numbers, but I remember $250,000 is being floated as the numbers, what they paid them to do that harvest phone survey, oh, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And my son, one year, got like four or five phone calls on the same harvest thing. I mean, how skewed was that? It was terrible. And they were paying it. Oh, and he was, dad, they're calling again. They're asking the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah. son, you know, and it, it, you know, I never, ever got a phone call, but he did like four times in one year and three times another year and, and stuff. So he was on the call list, you know, but you know, we need it's that accurate doing, doing data. Well. It's yeah, part of being of good stewards in the field and being good sportsmen. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree. One last question. One more. One more. All right. One more. There's an outstanding number of questions about lions. I don't know if you want to cover that or not. About sure. cougars? Yeah, just your shoot. I mean, I just want to know what we can do to manage the cougar population and if there's anything. So, so admit. So of course, you know, you can you can go shoot a lion. You can yeah. call you can call a lion in. I'd like to weigh in just real quick on this one. We did a video. It is uh, the question is what can we do about predators and as far as bobcats and cougars and stuff. I did a video. My uncle's a big you know that uh, mm -hmm. uh, big time. He hunted dogs all his life, and now he's gotten into more of the conservation side. So he does he helps out with the government trapping. Right. Well, it's been amazing. Like just the numbers that he's seen himself from even five, six years ago, oh he's, getting, he's getting four to five calls a week. And yeah. that's, just in, that's just in like our little district in Tioga. I mean, that's just in little Tioga. And a lot of them are, uh, you know, uh, ranchers getting their sheep killed. I mean, right. And oh yeah, it's, prob is, it's problem lions. Right, the video I did is, uh, it, was a, it was a goat. Lion came in, killed both the goats. It jumped right in their pen. I mean, it was 50 yards maybe, 40 yards from their house. That night, killed both the goats. They ate the liver out of the goats, left them there, and took off. And right. so we went up and uh, tracked the line and killed it. And uh, but it, it's just he's seen. He says it's just crazy. The amount of calls that he's getting now has just just skyrocketed. Oh yeah, with numbers. Yeah. 
John Brooks is our local uh, government trapper here, and, and he, he had a bad accident a couple of years ago, and, and he's, not, he's not presently working, but John's been our guy in this area for a long time, yeah. and he's a good friend of mine. And, you know, so his, he would always fill our quota in this area, you know, with the lion takes. Sure, and sure. I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, he just, and he, he'd tell me, you know, at times he's like, Wayne, he goes, I'm only taking the 911 calls. Like if I got a guy that's, you know, got, you know, this many dead animals, you know, I'm going to him and I might have somebody that's just, you know, got one animal dead over here. And he goes, there was days that I get four or five phone calls in one day for all problem lions. And he goes, I gotta, I gotta figure out, I gotta prioritize yeah. these. You know, yeah. yeah, and anybody in our whole hunting community that's watching this, everybody that has a trail camera, there's hardly anybody that puts that trail camera out in the first, second, or third animal that walks by, or even, you know, like I say, first, second, or third, it's a lion. And, you know, we've got lions running out of our ears. Now, what's, what's amazing to me is I think, you know, and looking from the harvest statistics, I think, you know, black-tailed deer have figured out how to live with a high lion population because they're, again, gene pool. All the deer that weren't good with lions all died. And that was a long time ago. Remember, we lost this in 94. 94 and when yeah. we lost it in 94, measure 18, when we lost it, lion population was the highest it ever been in history. And regardless, we can argue numbers. I think Oregon Fish and Wildlife agrees that we have close to seven or 8,000 cats in the state. Their management objective, what our carrying capacity is, is around 3,400 or 3,500 cats. Or, I, again, so we're my, twice. My, I, I, I hate numbers, I hate sure, numbers, sure, sure. but but anyway, yeah, and so I would argue that we're probably up around 12 or 13,000 cats statewide. I mean, there's no way to count them, right? No, there's no yeah, way. We, but when everybody has a trail camera, you guys had a, wasn't that yeah, yours yeah, that you posted uh, in the fawn? Is, and that fawn didn't escape, I'm sorry. It, you you got, guy, yeah. we, we got, what, a 18-foot a, a window of, right. a, of a view yeah, here? And it's happening right there. And you know how many guys have sent me those over the, oh. uh, there was one where a cow's coming in, this is a couple years back, and this cow's hoof is coming down. The lion's got the, 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 the elk calf in its mouth, and this, this cow's coming in to try to beat the lion off of it. Yeah. yeah, but it, they just, it's just a losing deal. I mean, you know, we're a barn full of cats, border to border, and we're a den full of bears, border to border, in this state. I mean, there's no way. They're in trout creeks. Yeah. They're in the Steens. They're in the Pueblo Mountains. My son hunted the Pueblo Mountains, and if you know where that's at, it's south of fields. It's nothing but desert. And my son's been down there, and the lions have just, there was a pretty good sheep population in there in the 80s and 90s yeah. in the Pueblos. Yeah, my son went down there chasing mule deer, and there's lions everywhere. There's lion kills everywhere. They had lions walking up to his tent. You know, had a buddy that went with him, and the guy unzips the thing, and there's a lion running off, you That's know. Crazy. And it's just lion tracks there. He finds sheep kills down there. My son found sheep kills. Talked to the biologist. Biologist was all interested in I mean, it doesn't matter where you go in Oregon. Yeah. I mean, and I, I stopped in, this was back in 2007. I stopped in Fields, to, uh, Fields, Oregon, to get some diesel, and I was down hunting the Steens. And so she's filling me up, and this gal goes, So you're hunting, huh? And I'm like, Yeah. And she goes, so I drive school bus in the wintertime. She goes, you know what runs across in front of my school bus almost once every week? And I'm like, what's that? She goes, a lion chasing a jackrabbit. Yep. So that's one thing you don't understand with lions. I mean, they have a broad diversity of diet. They, eat, they kill and eat bobcats. They kill and eat raccoons. They kill and eat coyotes. They, can, they figured out, lions figured out real quick, hey, I can catch jackrabbits. I can survive in this desert, you know? So if they run out of deer and elk, it's not an issue. They have right. a broad diversity Porcupines. of diets. Porcupines. 
How many porcupines does anybody see anymore in Oregon? Yeah. Not in Oregon. That lion, in fact, by, you know, all the taxidermists used to say they'd take them in, and all the lions years ago would have porcupine quills oh. all up through, and, and now they don't because that yeah. lion's never going to let that little spiky land beaver walk by. He knows no. how to flip them over, kill them, kill and eat them. Yeah. yeah, and he's not worried about quills. So, so lions so is just a huge issue. So essentially, this is the only way to do this. So, because as hunters outside, I mean, hunt. it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's, I mean, I've called in. I've I've spent probably two hundred hours sitting behind a high-end, you know, predator electronic predator call, and I've killed one lion, and I was about half asleep, and and thinking this never works and i wasn't i wasn't in an area where this lion had well, been spotted here the day before but it didn't have a fresh somebody, kill or nothing no this oh, has wow. been spotted in a guy's backyard and i was just i knew the area it's right at my home and i know the area real well so it's like my seventh setup i'm sitting in maple leaves and you know i'm just thinking to myself i'm half dozing off this never works it's never successful you know, I could be home doing yard work. I'm sitting here listening to this stupid call, and it just never works. And all of a sudden, I see movement. And this lion's already, he's 10 feet from me, and he's this far by me. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, the first thought, it's about time you showed up to the party. <laughs> now, there's, I've talked to guys that are super successful with calling. Right. You right. know, and I'm always all ears. It's you know, And I'm using the same sounds they are and everything, but... You know, it takes a lot of dick. It's hard. Oh, man. I mean, it's it's just hard. But this is one of those tools that the commission could bring in with, like, what you talked about with... Um, we can do administrative removal, which is super successful. I mean, you know, Hepner unit, big success there, removing cats out of there, right. you know, fawning, elk-calf, you know, ratios went up. You know, it's it's obvious. I mean, you remove cats, you have, you, you have success. Yeah. You know, so same thing on coyotes. You remove coyotes, southeastern Oregon. You remove lions and coyotes, you have success. It's simple. And it's, it's got to be administrative because they've taken our tools away. We would have gladly, and we only lost that, by the way, in 90, yes. back in 94, we lost it by less than 2% or 3% of the vote. And, you know, a lot of sportsmen didn't even vote because they thought, oh, well, we weren't going to lose this. How could we lose this? You know, I heard that a lot. It's like, dude, you don't get involved. We're going to lose this. Yeah. And we lost it. In Clackamas, Multnomah, and uh, Washington County, you know, basically is where we lost it. Portland's where we lost it. Yep. And since then, I mean, we are just devastated by lions. I mean, and it's been it, tried to be back on the ballot, but it yeah. never. Quite I mean, livestock loss alone. I mean, millions and millions of dollars just on livestock loss, especially in Western Oregon, Eastern Oregon as well, but especially Western Oregon pet loss. I mean, yeah. you know, John Brooks has told me crazy stories about, you know, lions, they're, they're intelligent. They come in and they watch that dog and they watch that dog and they go by that house and they watch that dog and that's an outside dog and he's sleeping on the front porch. Pretty soon the dog's gone. Dog's dead. Dog's dead. Yeah, it's a real deal. Well, Wayne, I think this is a good opportunity to kind of get our audience on this. I know a right. lot of people have been asking us to weigh in and, you know, I think you were a great yeah, uh, asset sure. to, to sit sure. down Oh, I'm thankful this. you guys gave me the opportunity to weigh in on this. Yeah. I think the big takeaways are, you know, whether your voice may be totally different than anything that we talked about, it's still you have a voice and to weigh in and no matter what side you're on or however you want, you know, you have a voice in this. And so contact your, yeah. you know. Yeah, this is, this is one thing, email. I mean, you know, this is this is our game politics, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And and regardless, you know, I'm I'm willing to dive into the mud pit. I mean, you look at you look at the state of our nation right now. You got this side and you got this oh, side. Yeah. I know better whether it's right or whether it's the left side. When you decide to dive into that thing, it's a mud pit, right? Yeah. And so, but us being 
you know, really passionate about, you know, wildlife and wildlife populations and everything and our game and our hunting and our outdoor activities. I mean, it's as old as mankind. And I mean, I'm willing to dive into that mud pit. And, you know, it, there could be people here that disagreed with everything I said, you know, but it's still, you got to dive in. You got to, you got to show what your passion is. And I mean, if you agree, you got to get, you got to get out of that. You know, you got to dive into that mud pit. And, and if that takes writing letters and making phone calls and everything, you got to make, you got to act on your passion, yep. you know, so dive in. I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm willing to put a business on the line. If you don't like what I say, I'm willing to lose business over it. I want to preserve opportunity. And yeah. so we have to be passionate. We have to take action. So get involved, write those letters, you know, yep. make some phone calls, write some letters. So anyway, guys, Wayne, Borak, uh, if you haven't ever been there, I, I doubt most people watch this. have ever heard of it, but anyway, uh, it's one of the best bow shops around. Wayne, thank you. Thank so you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you.